Well, we are going to be looking at Psalm chapter 95 today. Psalm chapter 95. And the title of the message this morning is An Invitation to True Worship. An Invitation to True Worship. I've looked and found all kinds of definitions of worship, dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of different definitions. And I think every single one of them falls short of what it really means to worship a perfect, holy, righteous, all-powerful God. A couple that I really liked was worship is putting the value you hold for something on display. Worship is putting the value you hold for something on display. Another one uh, uh, says that the word worship is from the word worthship. It's showing worth to that thing. And that thing that we worship is Jesus Christ. And so today we want to talk about an invitation to worship. Psalm 95 through 100 are all about this idea of worship. How we worship, why we worship, who we worship, all of these things about worship. In 95 specifically, the psalmist gives us two pieces of instruction. He first gives us an invitation and then he gives us a warning. He gives us an invitation and then he gives us a warning. And I want us to look at those two things together today. Scholars do not all agree that King David wrote this psalm. Uh, Many of them do. I tend to believe King David wrote it, and here's the reason why. If you were to read in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, it recounts this psalm and talks about the Israelites leaving out of Egypt and needing water that, remember, Moses struck the rock and water came out of it. It talks about that story there, and this is what it says in Hebrews 4, 7. He again sets a certain day today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as Ben said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That's what it says right there is he said through David. And then that last part today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That's directly from the text in Psalm 95. So I believe David to have written this. He wrote so many of the Psalms, such a beautiful writer. And who better to follow after when we talk about worship than the man that God says, he is a man after my own heart. And so I want us to read these verses together. But before we do that, let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that your word is alive and well. Thank you when we open it, Lord, you speak to us. So Lord, we've got it open today. We're going to read from it. And I pray you'll speak to us. We love you. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Psalm chapter 95, verse 1. Come, let's sing for joy to the Lord. Let's shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let's come before his presence with a song of thanksgiving. Let's shout joyfully to him in songs with instruments. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are also his. The sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let's worship and bow down. Let's kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hands. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah as on the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test They tested me, though they had seen my work. 
For 40 years, I was disgusted with that generation and said, they are a people who err in their heart and they do not know my ways. Therefore, I swore in my anger, they certainly shall not enter my rest. There is a lot going on in this passage. One day, I'm going to teach a whole series. We're going to have 11 messages, one for each verse in this psalm. But for the sake of time, I've got to do all 11 verses today. So we're going to get out at about 4.30, and we'll just go straight to dinner together, okay? We'll just skip over lunch, all right? No. Let's begin by looking at the invitation, all right? The psalmist gives an invitation here in verse 1. He says, come, let's sing for joy to the Lord. Let's shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. What is he doing? The psalmist is inviting the reader into experiencing worship because the psalmist that's writing this, I believe King David, he himself is going to worship the Lord. So what he's saying is, I'm going to go into the presence of the Lord and I'm going to worship the Lord and I'm inviting you in to worship with me. That's what he's saying. Now, I don't know about you, but you get all kinds of invitations for all kinds of stuff. You get him. Invited to birthday parties, you get invited to dinners, you get invited to all this stuff, and you kind of pick and choose which invitations you accept. I mean, let's be honest. Every once in a while, you get an invitation from somebody, and you're like, we're busy. Well, what do you have going on that night? It's on the calendar, okay? You don't even know what it is. You just don't want to go. Now, maybe it's whoever that's going to be that you're going to have to be with. Maybe that's the meal that you're going to eat. I don't know what it is, but there's some invitations you just think, I'm not going to accept that. There's some invitations you get really excited about. We are so pumped to do this. And you just jump right on in. The psalmist is excited to get into the presence of God and worship a holy God. And he is inviting us to join in with him to worship the Lord. It's an invitation. It's an invitation. Some of our dearest friends in all the world came into town yesterday. They were in our life group here in here at Bellevue, back in 2012, we met them at Explore 101, lunch with the pastor over in the Fellowship Hall. My wife and I sat down at this table, and we were table hosts, and we had a few couples there, and we we're going around meeting everybody and getting introduced. And so I just said, well, tell me what you do for a living. And so everybody went around and told what they did for a living. And so David and Brittany Jones are here this morning with us from Little Rock and their sweet little girl Vivian, and we're so thankful that they're here with us. But David told me he was a pilot. And so after everybody had gone through saying what they did, I came back to David and I said, David, tell me about being a pilot. What made you want to be a pilot? And for the, for, for the next 90 seconds to two minutes, David just shared with me what he loves about being a pilot. I'll be honest with you, David talked about having control of the machine. He talked about the different instruments. He talked about transporting people. He talked about all the different things that you have to do as a pilot. But he said, you know what the coolest part about it is? He said, being up in the clouds and seeing God's handiwork. He said, it just never gets old, ever. He said, I love it. Now, there's something you need to know about me before I tell you the rest of this story. I am borderline claustrophobic, Okay. I don't, you rarely see me in an elevator. I just don't like it, okay? I don't want to be trapped anywhere, okay? I like to make sure that the windows roll down in a car when I get in, okay? I just don't like being trapped. And so the thought of being in a metal tube flying through the air at a whole really fast speed is, is just not intriguing to me. I don't enjoy it. I don't want to fly unless I have to. It's not something I want to do. My wife enjoys it. She loves it. I don't. I don't care for it. As soon as I get in the plane, here's the first thing I'm doing. I'm looking for the exits. And the next thing I'm do doing is I'm trying to decide which people I can outrun 
and if need be, which people I can take, okay? All right, now you take that forever you want, but I want to make sure if something happens, I'm getting out of that plane, okay? We got in the car after Explore 101. David has just told me for two minutes how incredible it was to be a pilot. We get in the car. I turn to my wife or I turn the car on. I said, I think I want to be a pilot. She said, do what? I said, I'm going to go get my private pilot's license, and I'm going to start flying on the side. And she said, I, you don't even like airplanes. Why in the world would you do that? And I said, did you not hear, David, how awesome, how incredible, how wonderful it is? See, what he did is he invited me into his occupation. He invited me. And when I got in there and I saw his passion and his excitement for what he wanted to do, that was transferable. He passed that on to me. And now all of a sudden, I wanted what David had. King David has written this song. And he's saying, I am going to worship. And he is passionate about it because this is Psalm 95. We already have Psalm 51, where David poured out his heart before the Lord after major sin in his life. We know that David is a man after his own heart, and he is inviting you and I in to worship the Lord with him. So the question is, how do we do that? How do we wor- why, why do we worship the Lord? Why do we worship the Lord? We worship the Lord because he is the God that saves you. The invitation is, come and worship the God that saved you. Now, we know when he wrote this psalm, he's writing in reference to the Israelites being saved out of Egypt. The Lord brought them out of Egypt. Pharaoh kept hardening his hearts. The Lord is sending plagues. Finally, Pharaoh's heart was softened. He said, take your people and go. Moses led them out. They went before the Red Sea. They had nowhere to go. The Egyptians coming after them. The Lord parted the Red Sea. They walked across on dry land. And then they watched as the Lord closed in the walls of the Red Sea and wiped out all of the Egyptians. And he is reminding them, we are about to worship the God that saved you. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 3 and 4, and I wish we had time to go there, but just for the sake of time, let me just kind of recap. He is not just talking about the God that saved them from the Red Sea. He's talking about the God that went to the cross, shed uh, his blood, and died a horrific death, and raised a victorious resurrection, and is now seated on the throne, and you and I have a way to Jesus through the blood of Jesus Christ. So when he says we can come before the Lord because he's the God, the rock of our salvation, he is the God that saves us. And if there is nothing else that he has ever done, he is worthy to be worshiped and praised because of that. We could stop it right there. He's the God that saves you. He says, come in verse one, let's sing for joy to the Lord. Let's shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. There is nothing you can do, there's nothing I can do to work our way to the Lord. He had to come to us. Comes to us and he provides a way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. What he says there is, apart from the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. He's the one that pays, paid for our sins. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. What is he saying? Salvation is all about Jesus. Everything. 
He has paid it all. He has made the way, and you and I can just show up and walk in that salvation if we'll receive Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. And so he has made a way. Why do we worship the Lord? We worship because he is the God that saves you. We also worship the Lord because he is not only the God that saves you, he is the God that created you. He's the God that created you. Look at verses two through six. And let's be reminded of God's creation. Let's come before his presence with a song of thanksgiving. Let's shout joyfully to him in songs with instruments. For the Lord is a great God and great king above all gods, in whose hands are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are also his. The sea is his. For it was he who made it. He created those things. And his hands formed the dry land. He made them. We get to verse 6. Come, let's worship and bow down. Let's kneel before the Lord, our maker. He created you. He made each and every one of us. You have the color of skin, the color of hair, the color of eyes, the personality he wanted you to have. And he doesn't make any mistakes. God made you. He loves you. He not only saved you, he created you. And what the psalmist is doing here is he is reminding them He is reminding them of who God is. He's reminding them. You say, why do they have to be reminded? I mean, goodness, they already knew that. It hadn't been that long ago. They watched the Red Sea part. They walked across on dry land. They watched as the waves crashed in and took out all the Egyptian army. They saw all that stuff. Why do they have to be reminded? Well, I don't know if you've seen that little thing going around social media that says when a wife tells their husband to do something, she doesn't need to remind him every six months to do it. He already said he's gonna do it, he's gonna get it done. No, he needs to be reminded, especially if six months have passed. Okay, let's be honest. What happens is we get so busy in life, we get so focused on ourselves that we forget. And the psalmist is reminding them, you are bickering, you were were bitter, You were doubting, you were quarreling, you were complaining in the wilderness when you didn't have any water. But I'm reminding you that God is still faithful. He is still who he says he is and he will still do what he says he will do. I told you about our friends David and Brittany Jones. We have another couple in our life group. Their names are David and Brittany Brunt. So it gets a little confusing in our house when we're talking about, we talked to David and Brittany today. It's like, well, which one? Sometimes I send them the wrong text message, okay? I get them a little, little mixed up. We, we, we love both these families. And David and Brittany Brunt, about a year ago or so, they, they had me this handkerchief made. You said, well, what's special about the handkerchief? Well, they bought this for me when I preached here one day. And they had my wife embroider Matthew 5, 13 through 16. And then it says, praying for you, the Brunts. Every time I preach, I have this handkerchief in my pocket. And it is a reminder to me sometimes when I get discouraged that I'm going to continue to do what God has called me to do. Sometimes I just pick that thing up and I'm reminded somebody is praying for me. You have me tell you what one of those humbling things is in the world? Let somebody pray over you. Just let somebody pray over you. I had the opportunity this morning at 7.30 to go in the prayer room and let some of the, the lay leaders here in our church pray over me. It's one of the most humbling things to sit in that room and let those, let those men just pray over me. I was blessed this morning. We have to be reminded, and that's what the psalmist is doing. So we worship the Lord because he's the God that saves us. He's the God that created us. And thirdly, he is the God that speaks to us. He speaks to you. 
Look at what Psalm 95 verse 7 says. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hands. Today, if you will hear his voice. Today, if you will hear his voice. Brother Steve says he has a friend that always says, God's a talker. I like that. God likes to talk to us. Now, I've not heard him talk verbally, but Brother Steve says, if you want to hear him talk verbally, just read the Bible out loud. (laughs) These are all his words anyways. You want to hear the Lord speak, quit sitting around just saying, well, Lord, speak, speak. Get into his word and start reading. I read a statistic a couple weeks ago that only 7%, according to this study, and another study was 9%, so let's just cut it in half and say 8 Only 8% of professing Christians have ever read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. 8%. 8%. I was talking to Drew about this on Thursday. We were talking about that verse in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, where it says that the Bible is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it cuts deep. It's sharp. It cuts to the core, and it divides out the spirit and the flesh. And what it does is it illuminates those things in our lives that God says, don't do that. Don't live like that. And I'm convinced one of the reasons we don't like to read the Bible is because we don't want God to tell us what we're doing is wrong. And one of the reasons we don't want him to tell us what we're doing is wrong is because we don't want to change. We like holding on to that. We like that thing. And what God's saying is, I want to release you from that. I want to speak to you. God's a talker. He likes to speak to us. And I love that. John chapter 10, verse 27 says, My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You know, when your father speaks, you know his voice. My youngest son was playing a basketball game Tuesday night. I'm coaching that 10 and under team with a very good friend of mine, Daniel Jerkins, who's a pastor right down the road at another church and, and just love that guy. And we're coaching our boys and we're just all into it. I mean, we've got the matching shirts. Drew, I've got the dry race board. I've got the different color markers. I mean, I am ready, okay? I don't know what I'm doing, but I look great, okay? And a lot of times we're just trying to just control the chaos. I mean, there's just kids everywhere, Okay running up and down the court, you know, asking kids, on a, you know, are we going to get a juice box after the game? Like, we're trying to win the game. You know, don't worry about the juice box, all right? Get a juice box at home, all right? We're playing a game here, all right? They're asking all these questions. or doing all this stuff. You draw up a play, and you tell them 27 times, I need you to go right there, and they go out there, and they're like, and they're over on the what? They don't know what they're doing, all right? And the whole gym's yelling, people yelling everywhere. Moms are yelling, dads are yelling, grandparents are yelling. So the place is crazy. And my son, Josiah, is out on the floor. I, you couldn't have, I mean, I don't know how you could pick a voice out. Everybody's screaming and yelling. And all of a sudden, my wife yells, Josiah, box out. Josiah, turn. And I, I see the way it feels back there. And they're laughing because they know that. They know that. Better box out, right? Okay. They know Shrin. She's going to box out. And she says, Josiah, box out. Box out. Josiah, in that gym, on that floor with... Uh, uh, 300 people cheering and screaming as loud as they can, heard her voice, turned to her, and boxed out his man. Got the rebound. You know why? Because when mama speaks, he knows her voice. You see, when the Lord speaks, and by the way, he does speak, we just have to get in a place where we can hear him. Sometimes that means getting quiet. Sometimes that means slowing down. Sometimes that means saying no to things. Sometimes that means turning the TV off and giving him some space to work. 
Sometimes that means when you go to him with requests, you then sit there quietly and let him respond. We don't like to do that. But he desires to speak to us. He desires to speak to us. So we've got this invitation of why worship the Lord? Because he saved us, because he created us, because he speaks to us. Now the question is, how? How do we worship the Lord? Well, I think the psalmist gives us a few things here. Now this is not everything, there's some more stuff, but he gives us some things right here that I think we need to hold on to. So the first thing we see is worship the Lord by going. By going, say, where do you get that? We'll look at verse one. Psalm 95, verse one, come. Stop right there. This is what he's saying. I'm gonna go into the presence of the Lord and I wanna invite you to go with me. Sometimes you gotta get yourself and get into the presence of the Lord. Sometimes you gotta shut everything down and you need to do that early in the morning, I think, and you need to sit before the Lord and you need to just get in his presence and you need to just pray and you need to read and you need to worship the Lord. But you've gotta go. What does it say? In Psalm 100, verse four, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. Now there's a few things in there, thanksgiving, praise, thanks, all those things, but it starts out with enter his gates. You've gotta go there. And by the way, in the Old Testament, when this was written, Jesus had not yet come. And so when somebody wanted to go into the presence of God, he was in the Holy of Holies, behind the veil, and only the high priest could enter into that place. But Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He died a horrific death. And on the cross, the Bible tells us the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. And no more did we need a man that was a high priest because we have the highest priest of all high priests in the person of Jesus Christ who paid our debt. And no longer do we have to send somebody to the Holy of Holies. You and I can step into the presence of God at any moment, at any place and worship him for who he is. So it starts out, by going. We worship the Lord by going. We also worship the Lord by singing. Look again at verse one. Come, let's sing for joy to the Lord. What does he say? Sing. What does he say? Sing. All right, you're here. Amen. Well, Derek, you just don't understand. I wasn't given Alan and Harmony and Jeff's voices. I mean, they, they do really good, but I just don't sound real good. Well, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were singing for the person beside you. I didn't know that you were singing to have notoriety. I didn't know you were singing, hoping to make America's Next Top Idol or whatever, and be up here on the platform and be able to play the guitar and sing. Now, I love these people. They're amazing, and I'm thankful for a group of people in our music ministry here. We are so blessed, by the way. We are so blessed to have them. Mark and his team and Jeff, they're amazing. And they spend all week preparing their hearts not to get you to sing. They spend all week getting their hearts ready to worship the Lord and they invite us to be a part of it. So we worship with them. And what we do is we sing. Now, I'll be honest with you, I, I'm not a great singer. I can't sing, amen, Drew was beside me. Thanks, Drew, I appreciate that. I can't sing and clap at the same time. Now, I'm just, I'm just being honest with you, okay? I tried it during the first service right over there. 
And I noticed, I, I really thought I had it. I, I thought I was there. I thought I was on beach, you know. And I look up, and not only am I opposite of them, I, it's not even, like, exactly the same. Like, you know, one group's clapping this way, and then the next group's clapping this way, and I'm over here just, you know, I'm clapping, and I'm singing, and I tell you what, I don't know how, uh, it was just a joyful noise, okay? That's exactly what it was, it was a joyful noise, okay? It doesn't matter because it's not for the person beside me. It's not for my wife. It's not for Drew. It's not for Pastor. It's not for Bellevue Baptist Church or Mark Blair or Jeff Maxwell. It's not for the Southern Baptist Convention. We sing because he is worthy to be praised. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. Psalm 98 verse four, shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth, be cheerful and sing for joy and sing with praise. Sing, we're to sing a joyful song to the Lord. And thankfully, we have a lot of great songs that come directly from the Psalms. The next thing is, is we worship the Lord by going, singing, and thirdly, shouting. Oh, now Derek, good night. I mean, we're in a Baptist church. Well, look what it says in verse one, come. Let's sing for joy to the Lord. Let's shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. It's okay to get excited. You get excited talking about your grandchildren. You get excited talking about the little project your child made it, whatever. You get excited when you get the promotion at work and you get a, you know, 60 cents raise. You get excited when you come home and your wife made your favorite meal. You get excited when the neighbor besides you that never cuts his yard finally cut it and you come home and it looks great. You want to tell everybody about it. Why can't we get excited about the one who saved us? It's okay to shout. It's okay to raise your hands. Oh, now, Derek, we wouldn't want the outside to think we're a charismatic church. I'll tell you something. I would rather them say they're a charismatic church than a dead church. What we need is people that come before a holy God and start worshiping for who he is. So we worship by going, we worship by singing, worship by shouting. It says in Psalm 100 verse one, shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. You know, on occasion, Brother Steve does this and I love it. He says, on the count of three, we're just gonna shout Jesus. And we're gonna do it right now. So you better get ready. And by the way, if you're pitiful, I'm gonna tell you. And I'm watching. And if, if you're not shouting, I'm gonna call you out. I'll just point at you and say, you weren't participating, let's do it again. All right, you ready? All right, one, two, three. Jesus! Amen. He's worthy. He's worthy to be praised. There's an invitation to worship the Lord by going, singing, shouting, and look forthly at bowing. Bowing. Come, verse 6, let's worship and bow down. Let's kneel before the Lord, our maker. Bow down. Why do you bow? It's to show reverence. At this time, when you would come into a palace and a king was there, the king's head was always higher than everybody else's. He was either on a throne high up, he was on a platform, he was on a stool, but nobody's head was gonna be higher than his because he was the king. And it was visually signifying that he was the top dog. Can I just say something? God is in charge. And it is time we get before a holy God and we bow our heads in reverence because of who he is. When's the last time you bowed down? Well, Derek, you don't have to bow your head to pray. As a matter of fact, you can pray with your eyes open driving down the street. Yes, you can. But sometimes you just gotta enter in. 
And you just got to bow down. You just got to worship him for who he is because you realize it's humbling. It's humbling when you realize who he is and that he doesn't need us. But he sure does love us. And he chooses to use us. And that blows me away. So we worship the Lord by going, singing, shouting, bowing. And lastly, we worship the Lord by kneeling. Kneeling. Look at verse 6. Come, let's worship and bow down. Let's kneel before the Lord, our maker. What does he say? Kneel before the Lord, our maker. Sometimes you just got to get down on your knees. You just got to praise him. You just got to praise him. When's the last time? I'm not talking about your little prayer before lunch or dinner or breakfast. It's the exact same prayer you pray almost every time. I'm not talking about the little prayer that you throw up, Lord, protect us as we're driving. I'm not talking, I'm saying, when is the last time you got before holy God and you had a, a thought that he is everything and I am nothing? You got down on your knees and you just worshiped him for who he is. Can I tell you something? He is deserving of that. And if we do that for the rest of our lives and never get up off our knees for the next 50 years, he'll be deserving of more than that. Because he's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. Well, we've seen the invitation. Now let's transition into point number two, the warning. The warning. The psalmist shows us in verse 7 here, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness. When our fathers put me to the test, they tested me, though they had seen my work. In other words, they had already seen what I could do, and yet now they're complaining and whining and they're doubting. He says, for 40 years I was disgusted with that generation and said they are a people who err in their hearts and they do not know my ways, therefore I swore in my anger, they certainly shall not enter my rest. What is he saying? Let me set the context for you in Exodus chapter 17. The Israelites have made it out. They have crossed the Red Sea. The Egyptians have been killed. They were wandering in the wilderness. God was providing them. God was protecting them. He was going before them by cloud and a pillar of fire by night. He was right there with them. And they got to a point where they were thirsty. Thirsty. And they began complaining. They began whining. Well, at least back in Egypt, we had bottles of water. Now, let's just remember what they had in Egypt. They were slaves. They were in bondage. They were being beaten. Some of them were being killed. Their living conditions weren't great. Their food and water wasn't excellent. But they looked back at that and said, at least we had that. And listen to what it says in verse 6 of Exodus chapter 17. The Lord says, behold, I will stand before you here on the rock of Horeb and you shall strike the rock. He's talking to Moses. And water will come out of it so that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Look at verse 7. Then he named the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel and because they tested the Lord. Listen to this last phrase. Is the Lord among us or not? Question mark. How in the world could they have watched the goodness of God? How could they watch the hand of his protection? How could they have seen him deliver them out of all of that and yet whine and complain and quarrel and, and be bitter and doubt that God was even there with them? Because we quickly forget. 
And we're more affected by the things around us than we are the one that gives us life itself. We, are, we find more joy, which is not real joy, it's called happiness, which is fleeting, it's only a moment. We find more happiness being entertained by the world than being satisfied by the Lord. We find more happiness in being entertained by the world than being satisfied by the Lord. And so the warning is, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. He tells them, don't do it. Don't be like your fathers who were in the wilderness and they had hardened their hearts against the Lord. Don't do that. That's why the psalmist is reminding them of all this stuff. So how do you know if your heart is hardened towards the Lord? I think he gives us three things right here that can show us. Number one, how to know if your heart is hardened toward the Lord is through your speech. Notice that when they were at Meribah and Massa, those words mean quarrel or complain or fight, argue. And the other one means testing. So what they were doing is they were quarreling, they were complaining to one another, their speech was pitiful. And they were doubting that the Lord was even there with them. They were testing the Lord. Lord, are you even here? Lord, are you even here with us? I know you said you were, but are you even here? And so they're quarreling and they're testing the Lord. How can you know if your heart is hardened to the Lord? I would challenge you to step back and look at your speech. Are you constantly whining and complaining? Are you constantly bickering and fighting? Are you constantly questioning everything the Lord does? Are you questioning if the Lord is even there with you? We have some dear friends in our life group that had a death a couple years ago. In the morning of the funeral, I texted the husband and I said, I'm praying for you today. I can't imagine how difficult this is. And his response was this. Today is difficult, but we are choosing to trust the Lord. Can I say this? That's faith. That's faith. They weren't choosing to look at what they had walked through. They were choosing to look at the faithfulness of God all throughout their life. And the Israelites are struggling with that. So number one, how to know if your heart is hardened towards the Lord is through your speech. Number two is through your unbelief. Do you believe God is who he says he is? Do you believe God will do what he, will say, that he, will do what he says he can do? Are you constantly questioning his motives? Are you constantly questioning him? Are you constantly complaining? Are you constantly going to the Lord? It says to enter his courts with thanksgiving and praise. I think more often than not, we are guilty of entering his courts with complaints and requests. Enter his courts with thanksgiving and praise, and we typically go in there with complaints and requests. And when then he doesn't answer it exactly how we want, we struggle. Is your heart hardened towards the Lord? You can see that, that there's unbelief in your life. And thirdly, how to know if your heart is hardened towards the Lord is through culture's impact on you. Through culture's impact on you. Think about the impact that God had had on the Israelites. He had delivered them out of all of this stuff. But yet they were choosing to look back at the Egyptians and how horribly they had been treated and say, well, at least we had water back then. 
They were looking at the world to supply the needs in their life instead of looking to the only one that can provide everything we need. How to know if your heart is hardened towards the Lord? Through culture's impact on you. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. How do you know if you're relying on the things of the world? You get into God's word and you ask the Lord, and the Lord will reveal to you if you are leaning on your own understanding or if you're placing all your faith and all your trust in Jesus Christ. So there's an invitation, or there's a warning to not harden your heart. The second warning that he gives us is to worship the Lord through obedience. What happens when they don't obey the Lord? They see the anger of God. I I thought God was love. Yes, but he does not let sin go unpunished. You say, well, I thought Jesus paid for everything on the cross. He did, but there are still consequences to our sin. When my children disobey, guess what? I love them. Nothing has changed but there are gonna be consequences. Why? Because I'm trying to prepare them for the future. I'm trying to protect them. I'm trying to provide for them. I'm trying to do what's best for them. Don't you think the one who spoke the world into existence that knits you in your mother's womb knows what's best for you more than you do? And so we can trust him and we can follow through with obedience. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not maybe. Not might, not probably, not hopefully. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You see, here's the deal. Your worship is empty if obedience does not follow your worship. Because we don't just worship the Lord through singing some songs. See, if we're just singing three songs... Four songs on a Sunday morning and then we live our lives however we want, disobedient however we want. We're not worshiping the Lord with our lives. See, worship's not four songs on a Sunday. That's part of it. Worship is a lifestyle. I don't just love my wife on Mondays. I love her all week long. I don't just choose to do things for her and provide for our family on Mondays. I choose to do that all all week long. Why? Because love's in action. You want to show somebody how much you love them, show them. Don't just tell them. If you just tell somebody you love them and you never do anything for them, you're a liar. Now, we don't like to hear hear stuff like that, but that's the truth. And so if we're just singing and then living our lives however we want and there's no obedience in our life, we're not worshiping the Lord. We're just singing songs. Hey, you know who else doesn't worship the Lord and just sing songs? The rest of the world. And he's called us to be different He's called us to look different. He's called us to act different. How you worship exposes what you are truly passionate about. It exposes it. You know how I know this? You can go to a football game and you can pick out who the real fans are real quick. It's usually some big guy who drove in with a truck with 763 stickers all over it and a flag the size of Miami talking about he's a Steelers fan or Cowboys fan or whatever, whatever sport it is he wants. He's not wearing a shirt. You know the one I'm talking about. He's painted everything on his chest and he's got the decals on his cheeks. And every time something happens, he is screaming at the top of his lungs. You know what the root word of fanatic is? It's fan. <laughs> he's a fanatic for whatever team that is. Now, I'm not down on sports. I, I enjoy sports, but I'm just gonna say this. If the world gets more of our 
loyalty, if we show more worth to the world, then we're not truly worshiping the Lord. I would submit to you, we do not give the Lord what he is deserving of. I have been convicted more than I ever have been convicted in my life over the past two weeks as I've prepared to preach this morning that we rarely worship the Lord in a way that he is deserving of. I ask you, when we sang these songs at the beginning, were you focused on who he is and what he has done? And were you laying everything out to him in worship? Or were you thinking about what restaurants you were going to eat at this afternoon? Were you thinking about the fact that you didn't get your yard cut before the rain and now it's going to be soggy when you do that later on tonight? Or are you thinking about the fact that you've got to work a double shift tomorrow? Or are you thinking about the fact that your son has outgrown his shoes again, you've got to go buy another pair? Were you worshiping the Lord or was your mind somewhere else? I submit to you that we rarely worship the Lord in a way that he is deserving of. Why should we worship the Lord? Why? I'm going to tell you why. Because he is worthy. He is worthy to be praised He is worthy to be honored. He is worthy to be worshiped. Why? Why? I'm glad you asked. He's worthy because he spoke the world into existence. He's worthy because he spoke through the burning bush to Moses. He's worthy because he brought the 10 plagues down on Egypt. He's worthy because he's a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He is worthy to be praised. He's worthy because he parted the Red Sea. He brought manna down from heaven. He brought water out of the rocks. He blossomed Aaron's staff. He spoke through a donkey. He brought the walls of Jericho down. The sun and the moon stood still. He is worthy to be praised. The widow's oil was multiplied. The Shunammite's son was brought back to life. Fire from heaven fell and consumed the altar at Mount Carmel. He is worthy to be praised. He delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. He delivered Daniel from the lion's den. He delivered Jonah from the belly of the fish. And he is worthy to be praised. Jesus was born of a virgin. He turned water into wine. He healed the deaf, the mute, the blind, the lame, and all kinds of sick people. He multiplied the food at the feeding of the 5,000. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He is worthy to be praised. He cast out demons. He calmed the storm. He walked on the water. He's worthy. Jesus died on the cross to pay for all of our sins. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And he is worthy to be praised. He knit you in your mother's womb. He gives you air in your lungs. He gives you the ability to live. He's worthy. He's your salvation. He's your protection. He's your provision. He's your joy. He's your peace. He's your life. You are an adopted child of the King. He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be praised. Hallelujah. These are all things that he has done. 
and we praise him and we worship him for what he has done, but we also praise and we worship him for who he is. And lest we have forgotten, I will remind us who he is. He is the holy, righteous, and true God. He is the Lord. He is the Father. He is the Christ. He is the Holy Spirit. He is worthy to be praised. He is Abba Father, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He is our advocate. He is the Almighty God. He is the all-sufficient one. He is the ancient of days. He is the atoning sacrifice for your sins. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is worthy to be praised. He is the blessed hope. He is the bread of life. He is the bridegroom. He is the bright and morning star. He is the chief shepherd. He is the Christ. He's your comforter. He's the all-consuming fire. He's the cornerstone. He's the creator. He's the deliverer. He's the door. He's eternal life. He's the everlasting king. He's faithful and true. He's your father. He's the father of mercies. He's the father of the fatherless. He's the first and last. He's the fountain of living water. And he is worthy to be praised. He is God. He's the God, our maker. He's the God, our rock. He's the God of all comfort. He's the God of grace. He's the God of heaven. He's the God of hope. He's the God of knowledge, the God of love, the God of peace. He's the God of joy. He's the God of life. He is worthy to be praised. He is the God that cannot lie. He is the God who works wonders. He is the God who gives. He is the God who is near. He is your helper. He is worthy to be praised. He is Jehovah. He's Jehovah Makadesh, the Lord who sanctifies. He's Jehovah Elohim. He's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. He's Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner. He's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. He's Jehovah Raha, the Lord our shepherd. He's Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. He is worthy to be praised. He is the king of all the earth. He is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. He is the lamb of God. He is the light of the world. He is the lion of Judah. He is the Lord and he is worthy to be praised. He is love. He's the maker of all things. He's the mighty one of Israel. He's the morning star. He's the most high God. He is worthy. He is your defense. He is your deliverer. He is your friend. He is your fortress. He is your help. He is your hiding place. He is your tower. He is your hope. He is your judge, he is your king, he's the lamp, he's your love, he's your redeemer, he's your refuge, he's your rock, he's your salvation, he's the savior, he's your shepherd, he's your shield, he's your strength, he's the only wise God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His name is Jesus Christ and he is worthy. Hallelujah, he is worthy. Amen.